Amen. Boy, oh boy, did my heart need that time of worship together this morning. I don't know about you, but that was really, really powerful to me. Well, listen, I am really glad you're here. And uh, as I said, we're moving on into James. And I think we're going to want those lights back up if we can get them, because I think I'm probably... Ah, there I am. Uh, maybe you didn't want to see that. I don't know. But at any rate, uh, let me give you a couple of things to think about while you're finding your way to James chapter 4. Uh, we're going to get underway there in just a moment. Two things I want to uh, remind you of. One, we are beginning across coastal our backpack drive today. For those of you who are new to us, it's something we do every summer uh, to help kids who may just need some little assistance in getting supplies to be ready for school. So, uh, out in our foyer here, you'll find Chris Rowe, uh, who is taking the lead on that for us this year. And we're going to collect backpacks, and they're going to go to, what's the name of the school? I wrote it down. Mary Jackson Elementary School. So right here in Hampton, we have a school identified that Chris's wife Angie teaches at. And uh, so we have a connection, and we're going to have a direct ministry to our community here in Hampton. So you uh, go out there, see him. He can explain details, but you you take a, uh, a slip for a boy or a girl, and then you can get some information about uh, what kind of supplies to put in there, get a backpack, bring it back by August 14th, and then we'll get those uh, distributed and have a great opportunity to minister. The other thing I want you to do is grab one of these cards, another mission trip going on for Coastal. Uh, the end of this week, I think they leave... I don't know, Friday or Saturday, the end of this week at any rate. Uh, and from our campus, we have Kevin Hicks going and also Elise Hicks, our administrator here at our campus. Uh, they are headed to Honduras to spend a week serving God down there. That just opened up again a few months ago. We haven't been able to go the last couple of years. And uh, so, man, we're excited about that. And I'm going to include them in a word of prayer right now before we get underway with our message. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement of your word through song. Thank you for the challenge to our hearts as we offer ourselves singing that we surrender all. Lord, sometimes uh, we, we fall back on that promise. We say we'll surrender all, but we keep some things to ourselves. And I pray that you would challenge us this morning through your word to give every bit of us to you, including our desires and our interests and our passions. But Lord, I, I want to lift up today uh, our Honduras team that is going from our various campuses at Coastal and for uh, Kevin and Elise, who uh, in particular from our campus are headed on this trip. Lord, I pray that you would go before them, uh, grant them safety in travel. I pray that the, uh, the hassles of air travel nowadays would be minimized so that they can get there and focus their attention on the the work that you have for them to do as they serve the Lord and serve the people there in Honduras. I pray that this would be a very fruitful week of ministry, that you would bless them with your presence and your power, for we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, let us get underway. I wonder, this is a silly question. I wrote this down, and, and I, I'm going to go ahead and ask it, but it's really a dumb question, because of course. But the question is this that I wanted to start with. Do you feel like we're divided as a nation? <laughs> That's just a dumb, dumb question. Of course we are. We all know that. And, and if you are on one particular side of the aisle in any sort of really committed sense, uh, you would agree. We are very, very divided. In fact, I read from one person uh, a little bit about that, and it's really true. Our divisions are deep. 
not only on issues like race, racism and economic equality, but education, cultural values, lifestyles. There are divides between young and old, urban and rural, men and women. We don't even listen to the same music or the same news programs. We are divided. My question for you today is what causes that? In fact, that's the question from James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes that? But more, more directly and perhaps more specifically to our own needs, I wonder how many marriages you know of that are struggling with division or how many homes where parents and kids are kind of not in sync with each other or, or perhaps you're aware of churches that are struggling with, with schism and, and division amongst themselves. What causes those things. Well, here's what James says about it. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, do me a favor, because as soon as I said the word murder, some of you said, oh, good, I didn't do that, I, you know, so I'm good. I don't have to listen to this message. So, Let's, let's not do that, okay? I'm really glad if everyone here has said, no, I've never murdered anyone. Uh, I, won't even get a, I won't even get detailed with you about, you know, Jesus said if you hated some, someone, you've committed murder in your heart. But let's just assume that one is off the table. But all the rest of those we've all battled with, right? What causes these things? James is speaking to a church that is kind of beset by jealousy, and selfish ambition, and slander, and anger, and a variety of other things, much like we battle with today for ourselves. What do we do? I can tell you from verse 4 that it has to do with friendship with the world, with loving the world. So the title of my message is Stop Loving the World. And the first thing is, the first reason for that is this. Loving the world causes fractured relationships. When I love the world, it hinders the relationships that I'm in. First of all, because we don't restrain our passions. What causes quarrels and what causes fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That's from a word that... Uh, you might recognize that we get our English word hedonism from. Hedonism is the love of pleasure. It is the desire to fulfill my interests. In fact, in philosophy, it's the ethical theory that pleasure, satisfying my desires, is the highest good and is a proper aim in life. Not to go to meddling too much, but doesn't our Constitution begin a little bit on the order of one of the inherent, natural, God-given rights we have is the pursuit of happiness? I'm not arguing against the Constitution. Don't get mad. But I do want to challenge us today. I want us to think deeply because when I hear the word hedonism, I think of people who are just off the charts, ruled by their passions, and everything they do, they have zero control. But hedonism affects me when I want what I want, when I want what I think I deserve. I mean, our whole advertising industry is based on that, right? 
For those of you who maybe don't know, some of you do, I have a little side hustle that I do voiceover work for commercials. So I live in the world where I try and convince people that they need things that they really don't need. I'm sorry, I know, that's really probably offensive and I should think that through, but <laughs> nevertheless, it's what we do, right? I mean, down to you deserve nice looking hair, so you wanna buy this particular brand of hair color, ladies, or whatever. You deserve a better car. Really? We have taught ourselves that what we desire should drive what we do. That's hedonism. So how do they show themselves? It shows, shows itself in physical pleasure. It shows itself in the pleasure of having what we want or perhaps getting our way. It shows itself in the church, in our desire to always feel like we should be happy in the Lord, that we should leave church feeling good. I remember uh, a fellow one time years ago, I had a, preached a particularly encouraging sermon, and he came up to me afterwards and said, now that's the kind of sermon I come to church to hear. I want to come to church, and I want to leave feeling good. And I, I felt like I should apologize, right? I mean, I you shouldn't always come to church to feel good. I mean, we're celebrating the Lord. We're experiencing the joy of the Lord. But sometimes my toes get stepped on at church. Sometimes I have to face conviction because I'm, I'm allowing some kind of attitude or thought or behavior in my life that is contrary to following closely after Jesus. And so I shouldn't leave feeling good. I should leave feeling convicted. The teaching is that quarrels and conflicts arise because men make their pleasures their aim. Their lives are not God-centered, they're self-centered. Boy, that's easy, isn't it? It's really easy to come to a position where I'm focusing on, well, what is this good for me? Well, I just have to do what's best for my family. I just have to do what's best for me. You know, if, if some of our New Testament heroes had said that, like Paul, well, I just need to do what's best for me. He surely would not have gone to all the places he did, nor experienced all the things he did as a missionary carrying the gospel of Christ. Hedonism is a, an unwillingness or inability to control my passions. So we don't do that. And we also don't control our impulses. So we don't restrain our passions. We don't control our impulses. You desire and don't have. So you murder, you covet and can't obtain. So you fight and quarrel. These passions, these impulses are at war in us. In fact, First Peter, Peter reminded us in his first letter, I, I urge you, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. These impulses, these desires can be good. They're deeply held. Jesus earnestly desired to eat the Passover with his disciples before his passion. It was a deep desire, but it was not an ill-conceived desire. On the other hand, Jesus challenged us that looking at a woman with lustful desire is already committing adultery in our heart. 
We, we have unfulfilled desires. We should learn, I'm going off script for a second, but just bear with me. We should learn the difference between desires and needs, right? I just need, that word need should be in front of a lot fewer things than we put it in front of, right? We should call them desires. I'm, I'm not opposed to desire. The Bible's not opposed to having desires, the Bible is opposed to cultivating our desires rather than controlling them. The Bible is opposed to letting our desires govern how we function, letting our, our desires and our feelings and our emotions drive what we do. Unattained possessions sometimes. We are moved to envy. We covet and we can't obtain that person's got a nicer car. They have a better house. He has a bigger boat. Whatever. I, I have unattained possessions, right? Things that I want to have that I don't have. And we struggle because we want something. When is it my turn, maybe, is your question. He's emphasizing we fight to get what's ours. He's emphasizing what can and does happen when people choose pleasure rather than God as a way of life. The laws of God become disregarded. The desire for pleasure drives us to do things we never dreamed we were capable of doing. Have you ever felt that way? I never thought I'd get here. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my counseling office. I have no idea how I got to this point. I never thought I would be this way, whatever it is. I think we've all been there, right? We've all done things, said things, been involved in situations where we look back later and thought, I, have, I don't know how I got there. I never thought I would do that. That's what a lack of control of our impulses, a lack of restraining of our passions does. We have to do that because... Loving the world causes fractured relationships, and those kinds of things are evidence of loving the world. Secondly, loving the world, according to verse 3, results in unanswered prayer. In fact, let me back up to the end of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We could do a whole sermon perhaps a whole series on prayer, right? Perhaps even talking about each of those things in one time. But can I suggest to you first, the problem is we don't ask. That's sometimes why we don't have what we desire. God is not opposed to giving you the things that you ask. In fact, God is a gracious and giving God by nature. We don't have because we don't ask. Or in other words... Many times the problem is not unanswered prayer, it's unuttered prayer. We just haven't gone to God about it. We've done everything we can to get what we think we need or to work at what we desire. Man, I really want to do this. I'm passionate. I'm goal-oriented. I'm going to... And we don't stop and talk to God about it. You can lust and covet and fight and war and do anything else, but there's one main reason we don't have. It's because we don't ask. I think this helps us understand 
our lack of actual belief in the reality and the importance and in the efficacy of prayer. Because if we really believed what the Bible says about prayer, we would pray. Am I right? We don't need to be anxious or worry or fight or scheme. We need to ask. We need to walk in the spirit and commune with God and ask him for what we need. But somebody is sitting here saying, yeah, but I did ask. And I still don't have it, and I know that I need it. Perhaps we should consider that third verse. Maybe it is that we have asked wrongly. Maybe the thing itself isn't bad, but the motivation behind the asking was not appropriate. A wrong request. Look at Psalm 37 and verse 4. He says what? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, to be sure and careful, that doesn't mean, oh man, I really want a nicer house. I'm going to delight in God. Right? It doesn't work from the end of the verse to the beginning. It works from the beginning of the verse to the end. Delight yourself in God, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Have you considered the possibility that that verse means he'll give you the desires? He, he won't fulfill all of the ones you currently have. He'll give you the desires you ought to have, and then cause you to rejoice as he fills them. Delight in the Lord. You worry about that part, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and then watch what God does. Wrong requests are out of line with the will of God. Wrong requests are sometimes requests given with the wrong motive to consume them on our passions. They wanted to satisfy their cravings, pamper their own passions, says Curtis Vaughn. God's glory, God's service, consideration for other people, none of these things were entering into their thinking. So what makes it a good request, even for something that may be outside of the realm of need? Perhaps we consider, how can I use this for the glory of God? I know a family, good friends of mine, who are in the process of building a home. And it's a big home with a great big living room. And from day one, before they ever started building, he said to me, we're doing this so we can have small groups in our, in our living room. They're building a very nice home. He makes a very good wage, but he's doing it with the intention of serving God with this thing that he's doing. He's looking for the glory of God. He's looking for the concern of others. He's trying to seek, how can I serve Christ with this particular thing that I desire? That's right motivation. So, loving the world results in fractured relationships, it results in unanswered prayer. Now we're going to back up and define what is loving the world. And it's not pleasant because loving the world is spiritual adultery. What does James say beginning in verse 4? You adulterous people. He's writing to Christians now. So let's take the challenge if we need it. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an 
enemy of God? Or do you suppose it says to no purpose that the, that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Spiritual adultery is, number one, friendship with the world. Now, I know we battle with this one, right? Because we have friends in the world. And we do enjoy some of the things that people in the world enjoy, and we do so without sinning. So where do we find these lines? It's that word that is part of the word Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia is love and brothers, right? The city of brotherly love. Our family ministries director comes from Philadelphia. Great city. I lived 20 miles from it for a lot of years. I have to confess I didn't always see a lot of love. Especially if you weren't from Philadelphia. So maybe if you're from the city, right? But that's what it means. The city of brotherly love. It's affection based on association. What did John tell us? Brothers, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. I cannot love the world. I cannot be friendly with the world. So it isn't talking about people, right? It's talking about things that define a worldly way of thinking. He has just talked about it back in chapter 3, right? And I'm not going to read 13 to 18, but let me summarize the, some of the things he said we shouldn't have and some of the things we, he said we should. They're opposites. This is what defines a worldly way of thinking. Jealousy, selfish ambition, pride, disorder, impurity, lack of peace, harshness as opposed to being gentle, unreasonableness, mercilessness, being partial, being hypocritical. Those are the things that James has just defined in the previous section as being of the world. If those things are finding their way into my attitudes and my way of thinking, I am being a friend of the world. First John we just read it, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, perhaps uh, said as pride in who I am and what I have. That defines worldliness. So let me say, you could, you could follow all the right lists, right? from I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do or whatever list you happen to have followed, right? It's not about following the right list. It's about having the right heart. And if I am a friend of the world, if I love the world, I am committing spiritual adultery because you cannot have both. You can't have both. He's very specific. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. 
I don't get to have both. I cannot straddle this fence. I cannot be a friend of the world in terms of my attitude and my way of thinking and my way of processing things and still be considered a friend of God. The more I think, process, and live like the world, the more I am functioning like an enemy of God. Because, verse 5, God doesn't share. We see terms like jealousy applied to God, and it, it catches us back a little bit, right? We're like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be jealous, right? You're right. We're not supposed to be jealous. God gets to be jealous because he's perfect and holy and awesome and deserves everyone's attention and worship. And so when we give our attention and our worship to someone else, God is jealous. He does not allow for infidelity on the part of his people with other things or other gods. He is zealous in his commitment to us and he expects us to be the same with him. He does not share allegiance. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. God doesn't share. So are you just a little overwhelmed yet? Are you a little bit under the, under the weight and pressure of, man, this is, this is really hard for me. And verse 6 is just for you. But he gives more grace. I love that verse. I love that thought. Grace, just when we need it, just when we're feeling overwhelmed because in ourselves we find ourselves battling so much with this idea of friendship and loving the world and knowing how to love our friends who are in the world without taking on the attitudes of the world and all of this kind of balancing act, right? God stands in active opposition to the proud and it seems like too great a burden to bear, so James focuses and quickly reminds us that God's grace is there. He gives grace from which we draw the ability to remain faithful. He gives grace to those who will humble themselves. And listen, we're going to talk about it next week. We're going to pick right up at verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So if you want to overcome this, the solution is submit to God. And we're going to spend a little time parsing that out next week. If God stands in opposition to the proud, then my job is to humble myself because his grace is stronger than the pull of the world. His grace is more than necessary to do what he expects. God is gracious and loving in addition to being a jealous God. So those questions at the bottom of your notes... How is your heart loving the world? Notice I didn't say, is it? Because I suspect that all of us, as we've thought through this section of Scripture together, we're 
kind of thinking to ourselves, well, this, this thing over here, I got to be careful of this one because this could be an evidence of a worldly heart loving the world. We don't have to get rid of them necessarily, but we do have to check our heart, right? How is my heart loving the world? In what ways are you focused on God's glory? That may help you with the answer to number one. It may be that you will be able to look at the things that you have begun to adopt a bit of a worldly attitude and say to yourself, how am I using this? How can I use this for the glory of God? Or for the third question, in what ways are you focused on your own fulfillment? Which am I going to pursue here? I have this nice possession. I have this nice position. In either case, how am I using this? Not for my own fulfillment, but for the glory of God. And so I can serve him and his cause and his needs and advance his kingdom and minister to his people and people who aren't his yet. How can I take what God has so generously given to me and use it for the glory of God and not have a world-loving heart? What's interesting to me is a, a heart that loves God deeply loves people more. My giving myself, surrendering all, to God, does it make me love people less and avoid the world more? It sends me into the world. It compels me to be part of the lives of people who are in the world to live a life that's different from them, to have different attitudes, to have different uh, desires and a different focus. It doesn't make me withdraw. It makes me engage So we don't have to worry about if I'm going to do what we sang about earlier, if I'm going to do what, what this says and humble myself before God and I'm going to give my attention and, and my love and my devotion to him and my full allegiance to God that somehow I'm going to have to leave all my friends. No. God's going to give me a new, renewed desire and perhaps ability to reach my friends and draw them to him. God has never intended for us to leave. You cannot leave the world, Paul wrote, right? You can't, you can't separate yourself from people who are in the world. Otherwise, you'd have to just leave. That's not the intention of Christianity. It's not the intention of this passage of Scripture to just say, oh, well, fine, I'm just not going to be worldly. I'll get rid of everything that anybody in the world would like, and I'll get a smaller house, and I'll get a smaller car, and I'll get an older car, and I'll do all these things, then I'll be godly. Listen, you can do all those things and still be a wreck. I promise you. We're going to talk in a few weeks about warnings to people who are wealthy. You know, God doesn't teach that you shouldn't be wealthy, right? He teaches you shouldn't trust in your riches. You still got to come in three weeks because that's, that's not the whole sermon, but that is kind of the thrust of it. <laughs> Aren't you glad, though, that when God says, I want your 100% allegiance, your full devotion, and he knows, he knows our frame, the scriptures say, he knows our weaknesses, 
And so he gives us his grace to accomplish what he expects us to do. And then we find joy in the things he has so generously given to us. We find a new purpose in the positions that he has uh, given to us that allow us to influence people for the cause of the gospel. What a wonderful opportunity to, to just change our perspective on how we view loving the world. We love people, but we don't love the world's attitude and focus. It can be that simple, but it takes a lot of work, right? Man, I hope, I hope that as you work this out, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what God will do, what God will do in your heart as you're kind of parsing this out and putting it into practice. Maybe uh, you're going to want to kind of before you go to come and talk to somebody. We'll have people standing under the screens up here that are part of our prayer team. They would love to pray with you. They're not they're not going to judge you. They're just going to pray with you because they, they all get this. They understand the, the pressure of this. But maybe before you leave, you just want to take a minute and say, man, pray with me about this situation because I really need God's grace. And uh, they would love to do that. Or maybe you're here and you've never even trusted in Jesus. You don't know what, what being a follower of Christ is. Can, can, I, can I give you that in the short Short solution before we go, if you have never trusted in Christ, you are a sinner. Now, I know that's not a shock to you. It's not a shock to any of us to realize we're a sinner. But it is a shock to realize sometimes is that that sin separates me from God. So it doesn't matter. You cannot love God. You can't give your allegiance to God if you haven't first come to faith in Jesus. Because we're all sinners, because we're all separated from God God stepped in and did what needed to be done, right? He, he sent Jesus, his one and only son, who lived the perfect life that we could never live, died in our place, died the death we should have died, and came literally back to life again on the third day. And so to get into a right relationship to God in the first place, I recognize I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God. I recognize, I, I believe in those facts of the gospel. Jesus, God's, God the Son, came to earth, lived the perfect life, died the death I should have died, literally came back to life again. And then I received Christ from John chapter 1. To as many as received him, to them he gave power, authority to become children of God. That's never happened to you. That's another thing you could come and talk to these guys with up front or grab one of these worship team members that's up here or come find me. We would love to talk to you about that. Have you find today what it means to be a child of God with your sins forgiven and your eternity secure in heaven. Whatever that need is, you come, let's talk about it, and uh, we'd love to communicate with you further. The worship team's going to come back up. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to make our way out, but I hope we leave with a challenged heart today. Father, this is really beyond us. There's so many things I've said that about as I've read through and, and uh, thought through and studied through this little letter that James wrote. Uh, there are things here that are so down to earth in my daily ex experience, and I think probably in the experience of my brothers and sisters here that we really battle with this stuff, Lord. And, and so I thank you right at the beginning for your grace. I thank you that though we can't do this in our own strength, you grant us grace and you enable us to do what you expect us to do. 
So we're grateful for that. And I pray that you would help us, Father, to, to learn the distinction between being in the world and not of it, being part of the lives of people who are in the world but not loving the world. Lord, we want to love you. We want to give our allegiance to you. We, we offer ourselves and surrender all to you. Lord, help us to learn the, the, uh, the process of working that out. And bless us as we go, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.